You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. afternoon good morning good evening it's across the room verse 45 we're here to talk about the win in the derby della capitale and Fonseca's olympico farewell but first of all steve i've got to ask you did you see the best event of Serie A this weekend last friday at rocco camiso's press conference uh i didn't see the press conference i heard there was uh quite a bit i, I hear he said something about the freedkins right it was like a whole uh I don't know what kind yeah, of trash he could possibly talk about the Friedkins when Fiorentina is like languishing down like 15th or so, but more power to him, I guess. It'll get us a little more uh, attention. It's funny, of all the trash he was talking, he really wasn't talking much about the Friedkins. Uh, I saw that that part of his interview spun by some sites or one in particular into sort of like they're trying to bring drama out of it as if like he's going against Roma, but he's really just making the point that Roma needs more time. Mm. And so he should be judged on the same time scale as well. Ah, okay. uh, but he was he was going against all journalists. Like he just he lost his patience and <laughs> like just let the anger rip. And like saying stuff like even he put one journalist on the spot who was actually in the Q and A saying, "Hey, do you, do you remember when you used to kiss up to me at uh, meeting me at the Hotel Savoy? Do you remember mm. that?" And just like uh, it just he just let loose. It was it was two hours of unbridled entertainment and if if you <laughs> if you speak italian or you can understand italian i highly recommend you watch it in full it's on fiorentina's youtube channel and uh, i'm not going to say that anyone was right or wrong in that there's a, really just like camiso and the journalists competing over different shades of wrong really like who could be less wrong um but still just you know we've, we've had a few weeks where people have been talking about how italian football wants leaders who wear their heart on their sleeve and Camiso did that and delivered in spades this weekend so I highly recommend it but that's Fiorentina this is Roma and we're here to talk about probably what in comparison is the most inconsequential derby de la Capitale since 2005 back then Lazio were finishing 13th in the league and Roma were finishing 8th and yet they were only uh, one point difference between the two city neighbours and this season, Lazio began this match with already being knocked out of the running for the Champions League places, officially out of the top four because Juventus won earlier in the day over Inter Milan and very controversial circumstances. Did you see that one, Steve? 
I didn't watch the Juventus match. I, I, I was busy around the house doing yard work and, and such, but uh, I saw there was some controversy to the, to the winning penalty. Some, I mean, not just the winning one, but the, the penalties were ridiculous throughout the match. Mm. It was really, it was one where VR, VAR was the star of the show and the referee was in his own world, really. Uh, but yeah, that, that Juventus 3-2 win over Inter meant that Lazio had nothing to play for. And neither did Roma. Roma had nothing to fight for other than the miserable UEFA Conference League, where they, they still are leading Sassuolo in, in that little mini battle on the table. Uh, Roma, meanwhile, hadn't beaten the top seven team all season long, and Lazio had won this reverse fixture 3-0 earlier in the season. Uh, Roma, for their part, handed yet another start to keeper Daniel Fusato and midfielder Imbrima Daboe. And the final scoreline was Roma 2, Lazio 0. Roma finally putting the record straight in terms of uh, their record with top seven rivals in, in the league and also giving Fonseca a nice farewell at home to uh, at home at the Olympico, the last game at the Olympico for the season because Roma traveled to, away to Spezia next week. So, Steve, how do you feel about the win first? Uh, part of me wants to know where this Roma was all season. I know we didn't have the highest XG, which uh, you'll point out soon, but I thought overall Roma played pretty well, especially in the second half. I felt like they, they controlled a lot of the match. My buddy, um, who's a Lazio fan, uh, I was texting him back and forth mostly during the second half because he missed the first half. And uh, he was like, uh, is, is Lazio even on the field today, you know, for the, for the portion <laughs> that he saw. And um I said it felt a bit like the reverse of the reverse fixture where it's like almost like the team swapped roles because in that first, you know, one Lazio took it to us even more than Roma took it to Lazio in this one. Uh, but Roma, I, I never felt that threatened in the second half. I don't know about you, but at once Roma took the lead and they found that breakthrough, um, I, I didn't feel like they were in that much danger of, of losing that lead. Yeah, I agree with you. I'll be honest, for the second half, I took a nap. So I, I missed everything <laughs> until the end. Uh, uh, being 100% honest, I woke up at the final whistle and caught the highlights of the second half, and then I wrote up the highlights thread to the site, so I cheated. <laughs> but um, yeah, throughout the first half, when I was watching, uh, it's exactly like you said, I, I didn't feel like Lazio had any threat. Yeah. And um, yeah, just once we got the lead, I felt comfortable that we would see it through. Um, as, as you said, it was a cagey game. Uh, low chances all around and individual quality retold the, the story on the scoreline at the end of the day because Roma's XG by full time was 1.04 expected goals compared to Lazio's 0.77. So a very, very closed game in terms of uh, goal chances. And uh, neither of Roma's goals would have, would have happened without individual quality. You go from Dzeko and Pedro to make something out of very little in both cases. Uh, just as an example, Pedro's goal, his out-of-the-box uh, shot, was a XG 0.03 chance, and he buried it into the low, low left corner past Pepe Reina. Uh, even Kiedis Itati, after full-time, said on Jekyll's assist, the Roman legend practically created the Gelarossi's first goal out of thin air. That's exactly what it was. Uh, Roma won 53% of their duels compared to Lazio's 40, uh, it must be 47, sorry, according to Roma TV after. And Edin Dzeko himself contested a total of 19 duels alone on the day. Uh, this was a physically solid, robust, and dare we say, Mourinho-esque performance for the Jadarossi side. Although Lazio actually shaded the ball recoveries 38 to 37 and had more possession. But um, yeah, ultimately Roma came out first in the, in the 
periods of matches that, that periods of the match that count. Uh, Simone Inzaghi post match summed it up saying, "We can see the two shots on target, and they were both goals. It's the first time this has happened to me in my career." So, Steve, I mean, a overall solid performance, balanced performance from Roma, where individual quality they had to rely on individual talent to to break open the game and get ahead and stay ahead. So, do, do we trust? Roma to play this way 38 times a season, and uh, if so, who do we trust to turn on the, the creative magic from from game to game? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I like that Roma, you know, was caging this match and that they they went into those duels. I have to compliment Ed and Jeko. I know he gets flack from a lot of people. Uh, I think we all agree that it seems like his time is coming to an end, especially based on the kind of uh, reception he got from his teammates at the end of that match. But man, he put in a good performance, a very solid performance. He assisted that first goal. He had a couple other plays that stood. I remember him looking pretty good. I mean, a Cherby had a horror show of a match, uh, in part because Jekka was was on his game. Ended up getting uh, two yellows and a red uh, in the process of it. And, and on the the first goal from Mkhitaryan, like you know, the, our site said, you know, he kind of pulled it out of thin air because. Acherbi had no business letting Jekko buy him. So credit to Jekko. Um, I don't know, you know, for a national team defender like Acherbi, I was a little surprised, but, you know, he had a very good performance. I don't think he's going to be one of those guys we trust uh, next season because I don't know if he'll even be here next season. Um, so but do we? this has to be an encouraging thing for Mourinho to watch, though. You have to say, um, for a team that has struggled against the bigger sides, you have to like the way they came out, the right mentality. Um, I will just throw in real quick from a Fonseca standpoint, I'm happy for him that he at least got this monkey off his back before he goes out the door. Um, so that's not his like everlasting legacies. He never beat Lazio (laughs) in his two years and he lost all these matches. Um, he seems like too good of a guy to, to have that happen to him. But, um, (laughs) in terms of who do we trust? I think, I think Brian Cristante is someone that Mourinho is really going to like the more he plays midfield um well not not i mean i don't mean trust in general but particularly mm. to to break open the game i have that individual yeah. creativity okay so in terms of the individual in. creativity that's the question yeah. because that's where roma has struggled so much i feel like this season uh you know if mm. mikatarian wasn't making things happen early in the season when he really got off to that hot start um you know i think he was in double digit goals by around christmas time and he ends up finishing with 12 with after the injuries and everything uh, you know, Pellegrini occasionally will pull it out of, of his bag, but usually it's more in an assist way than a goal scoring way. So somebody else still has to be on the end of that. So you're right. There are some questions about who do we trust uh, to yeah. pull out that magic. You know, I, I'm hoping Nicola Zaniola will be one of those guys we can trust if he comes back fully fit, because he seems like the perfect fit on that right wing in Mourinho's system. Mm-hmm. If he plays in that same style, we've seen him play with many of his other sides that he's managed. Um, but again, big question mark with the the two knee surgeries, you know, uh, I, yeah. I mean, have you seen his pictures on Instagram lately that I've seen in the media where he's just uh, completely like been in the gym like a, an animal? Yeah. yeah, he's shredded. He's uh, yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody tweeted like uh, the boy who did this to Sassuolo has has grown up so fast into a man because, you know, he his whole physique has changed. And I guess it reminds me of one yeah. of my buddies in high school. He broke his uh his collarbone and he couldn't play baseball for a whole summer. And then he just decided to start lifting weights once it healed because he wasn't allowed to throw or whatever. And uh, he came back the next year, like really big. He's one of my best friends. And uh, after that, he couldn't throw the ball as well as he used to across from third base. But it was kind of <laughs> funny because it reminds me of the same kind of like 
transformation where you got nothing, you can't get on the field. So you just go to the gym and uh, you sculpt your whole body. So hopefully yeah. that doesn't take away from his explosiveness and just makes him stronger. I mean, it, he would be the, mm -hmm. the, the one to point to, but I think, you know, when we talk about individual quality, I think a striker has to be on the way. We've talked about this before, um, mm. but the individual talents on offense do need to produce more often uh, as we yeah. saw in this match. I, I just asked because, you know, a game where you finish with 1.04 XG, mm -hmm. you know, if it finishes in a draw, then you're talking about, you know, it's a very different headline. So, yes. um, you know, I'm liking the optimism after this win, but there, there are some question marks there for me in terms of can can you really play this way over a season with, with this team? Yeah. Um, well, but on, on a different, slightly different topic, now, the listener's question in today from Aristotle, who's back. Thank you again for joining us, Aristotle. And he asks, as we know, derbies are a different beast and normally have players playing with more intensity. Based on last night's game and intensity, who do you see fitting in Mourinho's style? Uh, before we answer that, I just want to give you some numbers on intensity so that you know, no one out there feels like we're pulling, pulling numbers or, or pulling opinions out of uh, you know, where the sun doesn't shine. Um, Rick Karstorp, he ran an average of he runs an average of 9.6 kilometers a game this season. Uh, he ran just 7.6 kilometers against Lazio, so he ran less, uh, probably owing to playing in a flat back four where he has less um, less need to cover the inside. Um, but Karlstorp sprinted more than he sprints on average. Uh, he sprinted just over a kilometer against Lazio, whereas normally he sprints uh, sprints 0.96. It's um, a similar story for most names, except that Henrik Mkhitaryan spent less time running and sprinting than his season averages, and ditto Lorenzo Pellegrini that spent less time running and sprinting. Um, but Jacko, like Castle, spent less time running, but spent more time sprinting, high-speed sprinting, than his average. Uh, 0.97 kilometers he sprinted against Lazio versus 0.69 over the season. So, like you said, you know that, that little dart past a Cherby in the box and, and the one that got Cherby sent off, you know, that really, that was the kind of Jekyll we've rarely seen this season mm -hmm. and he turned up. Um, Darboy, the, the youngster is already within the top five Roma players in terms of accumulated uh, kilometers ran and sprinted over the season, obviously, albeit within a smaller, you know, uh, amount of games, but his athletic performance this season on average is only behind Ibanez, Mancini, Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini in this entire squad. Um, he's, he's still, yes, against Lazio, spent less time running, but more time sprinting than Lazio. So like Karsdorp and, and Dzeko. Uh, Cristante, same story. Spent less time running than his average this season, um, but more time sprinting. And uh, Lazio, for their part, they generally play this season uh, about 50 meters up the pitch, which is, in my mind, that's just inside their own half. Uh, but this, this time in the derby, they were pushed back about 10, two meters more than their average. So 48 meters up the pitch. Um, and Lazio with only nine shots a game and only four on targets. So these numbers generally suggest that Roma played a more organized game where individually some names didn't have to run as much as they did all season. Yet, even though as a team, cumulatively, they, they actually did run higher than average. They ran, uh, normally they, they run about 180 kilometers as a team cumulatively over, over um, a match. But uh, this time they ran 109 as a team. But, you know, some some names that normally work very, very hard in terms of running around um, ran less, especially in that deep line midfield role. I think what, what really pushed them over the average is Darboe's performance, who you know, has been putting in a lot of yards in terms of uh, trying to impress the coach. Um, but mostly it was an organized and slower game than usual. So it, it, 
Now, there's, there's not much there to suggest intensity. Um, it's more that individuals just pick their spots to sprint into space where it made itself known and really made a difference in terms of the scoreline. Um, but certainly winning the overall percentage of duels suggests that there was that, that intensity there in that, in that game area of the game for Roma. Um, but what would you say? I mean, you know, from, from those names or anyone else that I may have missed out, who do you see fitting into Mourinho's style? Yeah, I have to say, I mean, Rick Harzar has been a pleasant surprise this year. And, you know, when I did my piece recently looking at names of who would fit best for Mourinho, I kind of felt like it's going to come down to Spinazzola or Karsdorp some matches because he does like to play with a more defensive fullback a lot of the time. He used to play with a, a more defensive left back to let Maicon Maraud down the right side with Inter. Um, so yeah. I kind of assumed that Spinazzola would be the obvious choice to just Maraud down the left side and play a little more defensively on the right. But Karsdorp is starting to show, even in this back four, that he can do that job um, in these past yeah. few matches. I even saw him, what I jumped out to me, uh, there was a couple plays where Roma left a little bit too much space in the middle and there was somebody like breaking or whatever. And he came in from the right and came toward the center of the, you know, above the box. So maybe like 20, 25 meters out and, and broke a play a couple of yeah. times. And yeah. that that's where that sprinting really came in. Not even always down the flank, but just working in, just hard. Back. Yeah. Sprinting back, working yeah. hard. Um, and, and that's a compliment to him. So I could really see him uh, fitting into that, right wing uh right back not wing back anymore but right back role that my used to play right back, if yeah. if uh Mourinho wants to let him uh bust down that side because he's showing that he will work back in a back four and maybe it's the, I, you know I as even, a sorry, I, I even saw on that Luis Alberto goal chance in the first half where Fizzato charged out and saved it um if Fizzato hadn't saved that well guess who was on the goal line ready to actually block it yeah Rick Carsdor. yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if his mentality is starting to change now that he knows he's being relied on more as a defender than he was in the 3-5-2-1 because 3-5-2-1, you know, or 3-4-2-1, he's able to play more of a midfield wing role. And now he knows I don't have three center backs behind me. And he's maybe made that switch in his mind. Like I need to be a little more uh, responsible defensively. So I was very impressed with him Um, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the intensity. You know, I, I think, this does show that they, you made a great point that they were more organized because as you read through those numbers, I said, you know, they're not running as much probably because they're not chasing as much, uh, you know, on defense, they're only sprinting when they need to, to pick out the perfect run on, on offense or in Karsdorp's case, maybe sprint back on defense in the right spot. So that definitely speaks to the organization, um, which we'll get into the formation a little bit, but it makes you wonder if maybe this switch should have come sooner uh, in terms of organization, because we've struggled with organization, especially in the midfield. I think the fact that Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini had to run less also speaks to the organization because they've had to work back really hard a lot of matches um, yeah. in that attacking midfield. You don't really want your attacking midfielders working so far back as we've seen them have to work sometimes because it takes away from yeah. the counterattack, um, which is yeah. what... I think I think this this aspect was what Paolo Fonseca was referring to after the match when he said that the team felt more secure in midfield. Yeah, yes. It certainly seemed like in midfield there was less running. Yeah, and I, you know, normally against Alazio, Milinkovic-Savage and Alberto are so dangerous in the midfield, and they were pretty neutralized. Um, I didn't feel like they took the game over. I know Alberto had that one uh, shot that was saved by Fusato very nicely. Um, you know, he was active once in a while in the box, but there was nothing, especially from Milinkovic-Savage, that I can recall uh, off the top of my head, that was like, oh man, like danger time, you know. Um, yeah. And so yeah, it, it, very I good think midfield. It's worth mention- 
I think it's worth mentioning that uh, Linkovic Savage only just came back from nose surgery. Yeah. And um, they were also missing Correa. And mm-hmm. everyone knows that, you know, Lazio's, the strength of this Lazio team is based on their front four and how well they get along into yeah. passing it, um, you know, between almost telepathically at times. Mm-hmm. Once you take one of those four out, uh, let alone having a, a second one of those four just coming back from spelling the sidelines, it's it's a different Lazio. So we got lucky in that sense. Agreed. Um, yeah, they, they're they're very reliant on those four. And... So, yeah. so uh, you're saying Cosdo could be a surprise package on the Mourinho. Uh, what about Mkhitaryan, Pellegrini, Dzeko, Dalboe, Cristante? I don't know if you fancy Cristante. Is I, I think mentality-wise, I think Cristante is going to fit into that mentality that Mourinho is looking for in the midfield. Um, and if he's got the right cover, he can play that box-to-box role, which we've seen. Darboe has kind of covered him more. Uh, and Cristante was up a bit. Uh, and occasionally I even saw Pellegrini would drop back as Cristante would move up and things like that. They interchanged a little bit on a couple plays. And I think I think he's got the 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 package that Mourinho is going to look for. I, I've been watching. I didn't watch the whole Tottenham documentary yet on Amazon, but he kind of reminds me of the Eric Dyer a little bit. That um, you know that kind of molds a player, bigger, stronger midfielder who can score a goal occasionally. I could see him filling that mm-hmm. role that Mourinho liked in Dyer because I know Dyer has been linked a couple times with Roma in these like rumors you see pop up more out of speculation than anything. I think. Um, well, that's what that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, if, if Cristante fits well, I, I definitely see where you're coming from the mentality side of things. But then, why why in the transfer news have uh, Roma been linked so much with replacing the defensive midfield? You know, we've, we've been linked with uh, Renato Sanchez, Dyer. Um, is it like a lot of people have said that the defensive, the Mediano department is where Mourinho is going to want like the money to be spent? Yeah. Whereas it seems like you feel like most of the money should be spent on striker. Could you see Cristante playing a more box-to-box role with a more defensive partner, though? I, uh, I'll be honest. I just think that Cristante uh, lacks the 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 ball technique to to break out of pressure, mm. and that's that's the problem with Mourinho's side. It's like if if you're planning on playing deeper and you're inviting the opposition to camp out in your half and you're going to defend against them, you need midfielders who can actually win their physical duels on the ball they can actually break out with the ball and and start counterattacks. and i think Cristante struggles in that aspect yeah. um you know guys that we've linked to especially uh that guy in uh is it altma cook miners um he he reminds me of Cristante so much but the difference is that while brian Cristante has great ideas on the pitch and a, a great vision of the game uh, Miners has that and he has the legs to back it up. Mm. He has the pace and the explosiveness and the ball control. So it's like his legs can actually keep up with his with his his mentality. Whereas Brian Costante is like, you know, he's got great mentality. I agree with you there. But just in terms of when you put him under pressure, he struggles. Yeah. And that's kind of why he's been moved back in, in yeah. his team back to defense. So, yeah, that's a good point. And I don't think he's a clear cut starter under Mourinho. I just think he'll have more of a role than some people might think. Um just yeah. because I think it, it, he has the character that Mourinho is going to look for. Um, and I then, Dar- yeah. And then Darbo, we'll get into Darbo in a, in a bit, but uh, yeah. he's looking like we found something there. Um, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have, we'll definitely touch upon Darbo as well. Uh, but let's, let's deal with kill your idols question. Kill your idols, you're back as well. Thank you. And kill the idols asks, uh, based on the new coach and Zaniolo, that would fit perfectly in that formation with a coach like Moop. Do you think Zaniolo will ever fully recover after his injuries? 
My hope is yes, um, but we've seen, you know, the ACLs have come back to bite Florenzi, Strutman, these guys that looked really explosive at a younger age. Now, Zaniolo is still very young compared to even when Strutman and Florenzi got injured. So I'm hoping, you know, he's got the mentality. He works his, his tail off in the gym clearly in the rehab. So I'm hoping for him that he does come back fully fit. Does he lose a little bit of that explosiveness? Possibly. Um, but like I said, he's still very young, so we don't know. And, you know, the this medicine, it gets a little bit better every year with these kind of things, the more surgeries they do. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful. That's, that's, you know, we won't know until he steps on the pitch, but I'm hopeful. And I hope for him because he does work so hard to get back um, that he yeah. can get through next season fully healthy and progress from there. Yeah, well, we all hope so. I, I just, I, I don't think we're in a position to answer that question yeah. in a way. It's really like being is believing. Um, all we know is that Zaniolo reportedly has uh, another meetup with Dr. Fink, his surgeon, this week for the, for the all career to get back on the pitch. And on social media, he's been teasing fans by saying that the next post I make on Instagram will be me on the pitch. So it could be a Zaniolo uh, squad call-up by next mm. weekend if he's, if he's very lucky. We'll see. Um, we'll move on to the different media opinions that came out, fell out after the game, after the derby win. And uh, there was, I was watching Roma TV, Steve, and uh, it was um, the usual crew along with Vincent Candela uh, replacing uh, Ubaldo Regetti because Regetti's been uh, in hospital for a heart attack, which luckily, thankfully, he survived. But they were, they, it was left to Candela to split hairs with uh, Ruggiero Rititelli on, on the what Roma's spring collapse came down to, his mid-season collapse that really saw Roma sink down the table, really in free fall for a while there. Um, Rizzi Telly had this to say he said the loss to Palmer uh, the 2-0 loss to Palmer was what removed the team's confidence that they could rely on results against smaller sides and then they made the unacceptable mistake of focusing on the Europa League uh, so Rizzi Telly reckons that the season was lost in March uh, Candela for his uh, part said something changed in the gesture room after that Spezia loss in the cup the team stopped playing as a team and started leaving holes in midfield once Jekyll was dropped now, I personally firmly agree with that, but people on the forum have pointed out that when Jekyll was dropped initially, it was before, or maybe it was after the game, and the team actually got some results throughout February. Um, but I, my, my take on that is very similar to Candela's. Um, and then uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan actually came out with a, with his interview to Roma TV, came out with a very no-nonsense and very clear answer, you know, something that is very rare to see from players. He actually just said very calmly, and he wasn't taking shots at anyone with this. There's no controversy about what he said. He said it in a very calm tone of voice. He just said, teams figured out how we moved up the pitch in the first half of the season, and it started to get harder to play that same way in the second half of the year. We needed to rethink something on our way to go earlier, and we made changes too late. Really talking about the formation more or less. More or less. And uh, so he reckons that the change of formation back to 4 2 3 1 came too late in the year, and that effectively the season was lost in January because that's when opponents really started to figure out the, the 3 4 2 1. Uh, that brings us on to a huge topic that was discussed on the forum before after during the match and even comes in in a list of questions which is you know, steve just you mentioned it before why didn't the move away from 3-4-2-1 come sooner um both candela and richie telly for their part emphasize that problems in the team don't happen overnight so even if they were saying you know that the loss to palmer was bad or the loss to spezia was bad they both agreed that 
it's an issue of the team being badly prepared to shoulder responsibility over the course of the season. So you, you know, things finally come to a head in those games, but really, you you haven't really made your team robust enough over the course of the league season to to you know to avoid those problems. Um, so I would ask you who who was Fonseca wrong to misplace his trust in as, as his first team regulars in, in that three four two one formation. But we'll ask some listed questions first of all on this topic. Aristotle asks, now that the Fonseca tenure ends, do you believe he was a victim of his stubbornness and pride by not altering formations or a victim of not having the players truly needed for his vision? And we'll combine that with AS Roma fans' questions. Uh, welcome back, AS Roma fan. He asks, my question is the team looks much better running 4 2 3 1. Do you think it was a mistake by Fonseca not to switch to four defenders earlier in the season when the stream when the team was struggling defensively, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, uh, it's a valid question after we've seen Roma play better. Uh, it started with the United second United match. Now United had less to play for in that second match considering they had a four-goal cushion. Uh, but Roma looked much better playing with the four-man back line in that match. Um, you know, even against Atalanta, Cristante kind of slid into midfield and played more of a four-man back line, and they got a draw against Atalanta. Um, you know, so I, I think there's definitely some some credence to that. We saw it against Lazio again. Uh, in terms of Fonseca being a victim of his stubbornness and, you know, not alternating or not having the right players, I think it was a combination of both. I think in some ways, because Fonseca has said, if you correct me if I'm wrong, that he said he thought he did what he thought fit his players best at some point. I'm pretty sure he did say that. Yeah. 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 So I think he felt like that was what was best for his team with the personnel he had, you know, considering Spinazzola's strengths probably and some of these other guys' strengths. Um, and maybe Mancini's, you know, and some of these other guys playing back threes. I think Kumbala played a back three in Verona, Mancini back three, you know, in Atalanta and then here. So I don't know if it's like some of those things worked into his mindset. Even Ibanez was schooled in the back three and in Atalanta, even though you've brought up in the past that he does prefer, prefer a back four. Um, mm. and then I think he got set in that mentality and maybe was a little bit naive not to switch out of it. Um, mm. I don't know if it was stubbornness and pride or maybe just not really seeing it soon enough, which would be a fault of his, if, if that is the case, um, because mm. they look so much more compact, uh, and they look so much more secure in the center of the field, which is where Roma has gotten overrun all season with that three man back line. Um, yeah. so, so it, it is a valid question to ask a Fonseca, um, why he didn't do this sooner, especially when things got out of whack, um, back in like March, you know, Roma got into trouble much earlier than they, than the, the switch came. Um, mm. I don't know, because there was even times this year when we were playing with like almost one healthy center back at times, I think Mancini was like the only healthy center back in some of those Europa league matches. And he still stuck with the back three. Maybe in yeah. Europa, it would have been smart to stick with the back three and kind of shift to the four in Serie A. We've seen teams do that. I know Juventus used to switch up sometimes in the Champions League versus Serie A. I think it was even under Conte um, mm. because sometimes European football, you can do different things. But um, yeah, I think the switch did come too late. I, I don't think there's any question about that because I think Roma was in such a bad spell that it was almost to the point where like, why not try something different, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, but, but on, on the point about the, the, the defenders, I mean, okay, so then look at the, the starting lineup yesterday. I mean, do you really feel that in the course of the season, like in, in the thick of January, February, that you'd be confident going with a, a back, a centre-back partnership with Mancini and the Baniers? I mean, 
I, I like both of them. They do make mistakes sometimes, especially we've seen Ibanez's mistakes really come back to, to haunt Roma, especially in the first der- derby, for example. Um, but I, I wonder if those mistakes would be cut out just a little bit if they had a little more cover in the midfield in front of them. Um, like we saw yesterday, they had more cover in front of them. Uh, so they weren't yeah. caught out so often. And I think that might have helped with those young center backs who had to make those split second decisions sometimes and Smalling wasn't there to cover them and there's no real veteran presence. It could have it could have helped, I think. But you're, you, you bring up a good point because if, say you're stuck with Kumbala and um, Ibanez, Mancini suspended and Smalling's out and then, you know, Cristante is not there to play that libero role, maybe it's, it's a lot to ask of two like 23-year-old Which- kids. Which almost effectively were yesterday because Ibanez went out injured. So it was, yeah. it was actually Kumbula and Mancini that mm-hmm. he was stuck with for the rest of the game. Um, but okay, that's, that's a fair point what you bring up about the extra midfield coverage. But then, you know, this is my, this is where I flip the coin on, on formation questions that people get hung up on is that mm-hmm. um, I have a, an issue with like looking at it from such a like football manager kind of way where like players are just robots and, and like the formation is everything, the shape is everything. Because it's really, it, like you said, you just brought up earlier, it's, it turns into a personnel question. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked you before. Like, what, So who, who was Fonseca wrong to trust over the course of the season? Who, who does he drop if you go back to 4-3-1? Do we, do we drop Vertu? Do we change his role? Because remember that uh, Fonseca promised with Vertu, um, he openly admitted in the press, that like he promised Vertu if he stays this season, he'll, he'll make sure he gets 10 goals or more. Mm-hmm. So he gave Vertu that role, that license to push up. And, uh, you know, when back when we were playing 4-2-3-1 last season, uh, Vertu was actually f- filling in as like an auxiliary fullback when like it was Bruno Perez yeah. or Karstorp running up the right, you know, Vertu would actually drop back. So does he drop him or does he tell him, look, sorry, sorry, mate, there's no 10 goals for you this season. You're just going to have to change the job. Do you, you know, do you trust Vertu to actually put his ego aside and, and do that for the team? Vertu, to me, from what I can see, you know, on TV, uh, seems like he's someone who could put his ego to the side uh, if it's for the good of the team, if the results are coming. You know, if, if you put your ego to the side and then the results aren't coming, it might be a little bit more difficult to stick with that, um, you know, change in role. I think he would if Roma was getting results. Um, but, you know, if they were doing the same thing they're doing now, it might be hard to convince him to continue to, you know, kind of sit a little deeper and do those kind of things. Um mm. But considering he played a pretty cent, you know, you know, fairly, you know, far back role in the three, four, two, one, he wasn't in one of like those two attacking midfield roles. I, I don't think it would have been out of the realm of possibility to have him sit in the the two and the four, two, three, one as the more box to box guy next to someone a little more responsible defensively. If they if he's the one making the runs forward, uh, maybe Cristante hmm. or Diawara or somebody is sitting back. But I think that means VR is probably the guy that gets dropped. Um, because he's not responsible enough defensive uh, in a defensive aspect, I think, in that sense. But then that brings me to another another thing that perplexes me and that people are overlooking now, right? Um, I, I never agreed with this problem that I'm going to throw at you right now, but you, you've, you've mentioned it to me before. You seemed on board with this, and a lot of people have said it. Uh, they said, Spinozola just isn't motivated to play in the back four because his, his mentality is, I want to be in a game where I know I'm going to attack. I'm going to get out of the pitch. I'm going to be involved in, in goals. And then I'm going to give you the, the best I've got. Whereas if, is he, if he's in the back four, he's got a winger ahead of him. So he knows that he's, you know, he's, I mean, well, in Fonseca's formation, he's, he's going to have that freedom on the flank anyway. But um, he, like he said before, with Karsdorp, he knows that running forward, he's probably got two men back now. So he's going to be more attentive to marking. He's got to stay back a little bit more. Um, 
think about more ahead of like whether Roma's going to turn over the ball or not. You can't just have that license to just stay up front. So, um, you know, that suggests that uh, Roma's creativity is on the flanks lessens and they got more focus on trying to unlock the game for the middle. If you've got that too, um, the, as the one getting forward and yet Roma getting pressed in the middle and VR is really your guy that you're, you're relying to dribble the ball through the middle of the tight spaces or make it time. I mean, don't you have a problem there in terms of like, you know, you have a low XG game like we've just seen, right? Yeah. In terms of Spinazzola, he does play at left back for Italy. Um, I think right now he's probably the favorite if he's healthy to start for Italy at left back. It's probably between him and Emerson. Yeah. So uh, we'll see if he can put his ego aside for Italy because if he doesn't, uh, he's not going to start for Italy. I think Mancini will make that happen very quickly. Um, you know, <laughs> where I, you know, you can't play around in a Euro Cup tournament where um, you know a loss could could ruin the whole tournament. So I think um, I think we'll see. I, I think he could play in the back four and put his ego aside. I think as long as he has some freedom to push down the flank in the right opportunities, I think he could. We'll see. Um, because he's going to have to do that for Mourinho at some point. I think in terms of Karsdorp, after watching Karsdorp play these last few games, I, I, I definitely trust him in the back four. Um, yeah, I, you know, I agree with that. He yeah. still has some deficiencies at times defensively, but you know, it's, it's an upgrade over what we've seen defensively at a, from a lot of right backs we've seen in the past few seasons. Yeah. But, um, but just for the record, I always felt Spencer could play in the back four. Yeah. You, you didn't, and a lot, a lot of people didn't. So, yeah, but now the same people are saying we should have switched the back four sooner. Yeah, and and I think he can play the back four too. I think um, his offensive characteristics fit better as the wing back. But you you've yeah. always said he's got plenty of good defensive characteristics, and I think that's why he gets starts at left back for Italy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that, and I think we'll see that. And I think if Karsdorp and Spinazzola come in with the right mindset, I think Mourinho will like both of them for their ability to get down, but also get back and defend and. It's gonna. Have, we'll see how unbalanced he wants to play because early in the season we saw um, Santon getting starts at right back, um, mm. and it was Spinazzola bombing down the left, and Santon would sit back in the right back position. Does Mourinho go for that approach? He might against some bigger teams where he wants to be a little more defensively solid. I don't know. Uh, it depends who else they bring in the Mer- the Mercato, I guess. So who's the odd man out here then? I mean, who, who do we drop? Do we drop VR? Do we drop Cristante? Do we drop? Pellegrini, or do we play Pellegrini out wide? I saw that suggested on the forum that in the 4-2-3-1, Pellegrini should be played as a winger now, or, or sorry, a wide, like a wide forward, um, which I, I find not, you know, it's not, it's not a bad idea actually. Um, but you know, like we've seen, we've just seen this, this game against Lazio, which is a weakened Lazio side, right? Um, Roma, you know, really just edging what little goal chances there were. Um, the, you know, the emphasis was on creating through the middle. And they just about did that, thanks to yeah. Jack and Pedro. Um, you know, well, if people are so confident that 4231 is the answer, well, who who do you, like, you know, this is my question to you again. Who, who do you trust to, to open up the match in the middle? I mean, I I prefer Pellegrini in the middle. Um, I I know sometimes you, you know, there's, there could be better options in some matches. Maybe Vertu can play there sometimes. Um, I personally think he fits there best if for for him. Um, because I think out wide, I think if everybody's healthy, Zaniolo starts on the right. Um, if Mkhitaryan's here next year, I think he starts on the left. I don't know if he'll be here next year. It depends what kind of relationship him and Mourinho have left, I guess. Um, mm. But even then, I think, you know, you probably prefer like an El Shorari on the left who will can create a goal out of nothing sometimes and can track back. He started this match. You know, he's not at 100%, I don't think, at this point, fitness-wise. Um, 
you know, so I think a lot goes into who's healthy at what time to who's available in each match. That's the thing. Like there's going to be plenty of matches where it's, you know, Pellegrini might miss a match or uh, VR might miss a match, or this guy might miss a match through fitness or yellow card suspension or whatever. So I think you have to be prepared to play different people in different places. Um, And very few players, I think have a set start starting spot, every match, match in match out. Fair enough. I mean, what I heard from, uh, Candela and Enrico Telly on that was very different to what you just said, and, and actually very different to how I was thinking. I, I was thinking like you for this season that you know, I, in fact, for the last few years, I've been hoping that Roma has a a very interchangeable team where you could just like draft players in and out of the team week to week, and you're not too dependent on one guy. But um, the, both those guys, ex football players, were saying uh, much like Petraki and Fonseca said about leading teams in Serie A, is that um, you really want to be able to trust at least you know like the bulk of your team to be started throughout the season. And like, and like that, that's how players feel trust is when you play them week to week to week to week to week, especially when they're in form, yeah. like they want to play even more. That's, that's what they were saying. Um, and they were just saying like, look, this idea that you can just have a guy in and out the side week to week, um, is that, that's just not football. It's not, it's not really how it works because then the player's going to ask you like, why, you know, why am I out the team every week? And you just have that headache. So, they they took a very different point of view, but yeah, I mean we'll we'll see you next season. Um, we'll move on to Daniel Martinez's question, where Daniel asks: In the last two years, we've seen some players that have improved individually, like Mancini, Karsdorp, Viat, Mayoral, etc. Do you think we're going to keep that trend even without Fonseca? I hope so, um, because it's important with the the way the club is built. Uh, you know, we have some over the hill veterans for sure, some older veterans, but um, the bulk of our our squad, the core of our squad is fairly young. Uh, I'd say 25 or younger in most cases uh, in terms of Mancini, Pellegrini, Karsdorp, um, VR, Mayoral, if he's around again, um, Ibanez. So um, I hope that Mourinho can continue to do that. Zaniolo uh, in particular, you know, those guys, hopefully Mourinho can help that development, maybe even more than in a, a tactical way, but even in a mental way to make them mentally stronger, you know, those experiences, things like that. Um, I hope so, you know, because I think the growth under Fonseca to me is the most important thing he did for the team in the two years. The results weren't what we wanted or expected probably in many ways, but the growth of individual pieces was, I think, so important to the squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I agree with the last part. I, I think, uh, Daniel, when it comes to Mourinho, like Steve said, I think, the, the leap forward that we're looking to make with our young players is, is just their mental approach to the game, their, their in-game management, you know, like growing your intuition for um, when the, you know, the, just the temperature of the, of the match says that you gotta, you gotta stay back for about 10 minutes to defend. And then when you've got to break forward, um, when you've got to make your, your edge count and really score a goal um, and just see out the game and, and win results. I think uh, just having that, that mentality to grind out results is what we're looking to lay that brick on top of the foundation that we have right now. Um, I don't see it. I don't see these individuals growing in the same trend that we, that we've seen on Fonseca because Fonseca has very organized football. Um, I'm not saying that it's always looking organized in that day, but I mean, on the training pitch, you know, it's, um, it's like almost every single move that you make on, on every other pitch um, is meant to be one where, you can pass the ball to three other teammates at one time. And in, in a really simple way, what that means is that 
um, in training, you, you recognize that the ball travels faster than any player. So what you're looking to train your, your young players to recognize is like the same, uh, have that same intuition for um, who to pass it to in a split second all over the pitch because um, the, the more, the faster the ball travels, the farther, faster you have to learn where to be on the pitch to make it, you know, to keep up with the ball. Um, so it's just a very different way of training players. I think individually, we've seen Fonseca train uh, players' technical qualities and their intuition for ball play, but under Mourinho, unfortunately, that goes. Um, what gets replaced is really just mentality-wise, and you know, have, having that uh, mentality, like that school of mentality uh, lesson added on, consolidating uh, what Fonseca taught over the last two years, is not a bad combination whatsoever. Yeah. Um, in the short term, I think it's it's actually could be very good for Roma. It's just whether whether it has any long term implications. That's the the main worry for our youth. Um, but yeah, that's uh, have we answered that question? And back uh, after the commercial break, we'll be talking about two very young names who've been earning plaudits this weekend and in the weeks gone by. But first, we're going to take a commercial break. Okay, we're back, and we're going to get to the praise that's been showering two young names in the Roma lineup so far this week: uh, Daniel Fusato in goal. And we've mentioned him several times already. Abrima Daboe is the lone regista in Roma's 4-2-3-1 formation right now. Uh, Steve, what, what have you been making of their performances over the last few weeks? Um, you know, I, I, I think Fuzato is starting to show a little bit of what we uh, were hoping for from him. I know the first start, I can't recall who his first start was against, uh, wasn't, you know, anything I was saying, but he made a couple of really good saves in this match. He seems pretty aggressive when he has to be coming out of goal. Um, you know, I, th- I think he's I think trending his first, in the his first start. His first start was against Sampdoria, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it was. Yes, it was Sam. Where, where he made that pass to Kumbula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was yeah. like that. That was the the hiccup in that match. But I think from a, a shot stopping standpoint, he's doing a good job. I think uh, yeah. he made a couple good saves this when he came out aggressive on one or two occasions when he had to. He seemed to command the area on a couple crosses. So, um, mm. you know, I think I think good signs in terms of Darboe. I, I pulled up. Um, a tweet from AS Roma da- data, um, 90 minutes played, 96% pack at, passing accuracy, 44, 46, 56 touches, uh, 11 recoveries, six duels, one, which was second highest after Jekko's 12 and three tackles. So he really stuffed the stat sheet in terms of just controlling the midfield. Uh, I think yeah. his performance was a big reason why Lazio's midfield was neutralized for the most part when, uh, yeah. you know, considering that they're such a good midfield, I think, I mean, you talked about he's already in the top five on average for Roma for athletic play. I think he is yeah. really showing um, that he's got the tools to turn into a player. The kid's 19 years old. And he, and I think the thing that's been most impressive to me, look at the teams he's played against. He started against Manchester United, Inter Milan, Lazio. You know, these are mm-hmm. quality sides. He's not starting against Parma, Crotone, and Benevento in these matches. He's starting mm-hmm. against quality sides, and he does not look overwhelmed at all. Uh, doesn't seem to get frazzled or rattled in in tough situations. Um, doesn't seem that, to be that, phased by these things. That being said, that leads me to, to the next question I was going to ask: Is it, uh, do we need to temper our judgment of these games because uh, these are essentially non-competitive games? You know, they, he started that second against Manchester United, but United had no incentive to to push for the win in that mm-hmm. game. They just need to see out the result. Uh, he started against Inter, Inter already champions. Um, he's, he just started against Lazio 
Lazio only just got back uh, SMS from no surgery, like we mentioned. Correa was out injured, and uh, they they had nothing to fight for. They knew before kickoff that fourth place was gone. So is is there a need to to put an asterisk against these games because that you know we've met opponents at the at the tail end of the season where games are dead rubbers right now. Yeah, I think you do have to take uh, the performances with a, just a tiny grain of salt um, and realize mm-hmm. that in terms of Inter, they're ready champions. You know, Lazio, you would hope they're motivated for the Derby, but maybe they're not as motivated after seeing Juve win the match right before. Um, things like that. And, you know, I see some people calling him Arangola Conte already. Uh, we, we can't jump to those conclusions. You know, you don't want to jump too fast, but I think they, what it shows... Cool Angola Conte from uh, Chelsea. Oh, God. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think I, 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 I pronounced <laughs> it poorly the first time, but. No, no, no. I just didn't, I never agreed with that uh, comparison. Mm-hmm. I know that, that happened with the forum, but I, I just think they're not at all the same player. I just, yeah. I, someone took issue with that because they were saying, like, uh, it's you're just comparing, you know, a black player to another black player. And I got to be honest, my my instinctive reaction that when I saw that comment was, I absolutely agree. I just don't understand how you come up with, with Kante in that situation. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to say that anyone was saying that in bad faith. If they say that they were making that comparison in good faith, I believe you. Um, I just, me, I don't see him as a, as a ball winner type player. I've, I see him as like a, a Viat or Diawara or, or we've compared him in our under twenty three countdowns over the years to Cesc Fabregas to me. And that's, mm. that's 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 he's that kind of player. He's that technical player. Yeah. And, you know, I think, like I said, you take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because of the type of matches they are, but the signs are there. The positive signs are there. And I think that's encouraging. And I think there's something to build on. And, you know, I thought, you know, these were kind of a cameo, get your feet wet appearances these would be. And then maybe next year under Mourinho, he gets shipped out on loan somewhere to get regular playing time. But if he continues on this trajectory and he can impress in the preseason, he might have a role to play next year here under Mourinho. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, you know, like uh, even, you know, his athletic performance just this last match, he was, he ran and sprinted the most out of anyone on, on e- either side. So, you know, cumulatively, he, he put, he put himself out the pitch more than anyone else. Um, and Fuzakto, again, I agree with you, you know, what I felt was different about this last game versus all the other appearances was that he just looked more assertive, like he was rushing mm-hmm. out more. Yes. Um, and that's he looks more assertive than other keepers. He looks more assertive than Lopez and Renate. And uh, last season, I mean, we we've been hyped on Fazato for a while. Me, me first and foremost. I'm at the front of that line. Um, but then when he when he when he played the game last season against Juve, I looked at him and I felt mm, he's a bit on the short side. Um, but this weekend, I didn't feel like that. I felt like he's yeah. maybe grown an inch or two. Maybe maybe it was just the nature of his performance that made me judge him that way. But I felt like he looked the part, you know. Um, but I would just say with Fazato. He has to start playing games. Yes. If he, he he can't stick around in Rome just to be on the bench because he made his professional debut in football last season with Roma. He'd never played a senior game before that. He, he in in Brazil he only played under uh, I think it was under under twenty one football mm-hmm. and um, he'd never played a senior game. So he's he's made his senior senior debut in football, professional debut in football in Rome at twenty two years old last season. Now he's twenty three. Yeah. You know, it's time for him to kick on. He needs a full season of football. So um, if Roma don't plan on starting next year, he's got to get loaned, in my opinion, because it's just, you can't stick around with the bench. Yeah, and I wonder, um, you know, with um, we've talked about, you know, could Lopez stick around? Could Olsen come back under Mourinho because he needs like a, sh- a shot stopper type goalie? You know, could Fusato get a look to save the money and invest elsewhere? 
could be something I wonder if Roma's not in Champions League football, maybe prob- not in Europa League football. Is he a guy you keep around? But you have to make sure you're right. He has to play because when he went to Gil Vicente and didn't play a match, um, that to me was very disappointing because you're going to mm. not even one of the Portuguese powers. You're going to, I don't even know if they're mid-level or lower table. I don't even know. Uh, and not even getting a match was disappointing, but he's starting to show the talent. So I, you wonder how he didn't get a match there. Um, and you're right. He has to play next year, whether it's out on loan, somewhere where a team says, yes, he's going to be our starter um, barring injury or his disastrous performances or something. Um, or in Rome, he's, he's got to play if he's going to take that next step. Yeah. You, you wanted to ask me these next couple of questions, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, our listener, Jody, uh, asked, and this is more of a tactical question, so I'll pass it to you. So Fonseca said that Darboe is one important reason why he decided to switch back to the 4-2-3-1. Uh, how comparable is this 4-2-3-1 to his last season's 4-2-3-1 before they made that switch? Uh, we'll start there, and then you can get into how can you explain what tactical roles Darbo plays in this system. Uh, how comparable is this to Fortune last? I mean, I I think it would be very similar to last season. It's just that the, the team has gained more of a routine of playing it out wide, so they they know what they're capable of in terms of when they um, send a, a guy down the flanks to to create that way. But uh, essentially, the you know the Forty-one, forty-one is, is the same principle as last season. You, you're now going back to, um, uh, well, I don't know. I guess I guess they played they played it more like uh, with Darboy, right? Being such a a register in in, in in that he almost played like a lone midfielder in that. It's more like a four-one, uh, four-one really <laughs> that they played in, in, in this end of the season. So uh, we had that last season with Diawara staying back often and, and Gratu being the guy to push forward. So it's really not that different, but it really looked like uh, Arboe was the one holding the fort and uh, he was playing it kind of like a lone midfield role in front of the defense. Um, but essentially the same thing. You had the, you know, the, the, um, the one midfielder dropping between the two central defenders splitting deep and that back three unit was in charge of taking the ball, uh, well, uh, yeah, building up play and then as soon as they let the ball go forward to the, you know, the, the Roma players in front of them, they're in charge of preventive marking, uh, whether it be deep in an hour and a half or on the halfway line. You know, they're, they're out of possession, so they're worried about defending from then on in. Um, very similar to the last season. It's just that the team had more um, self-awareness of what they were capable of down the wings from having switched to a different season, uh, system during, during the year. Okay, and then speaking on Darboe, we kind of mentioned this, but uh, AS Roma fan had another question. Uh, he said he's starting to really get excited about him. I would love to get your thoughts about Darboe's play so far. Do you think he will play a significant role on the team next year with uh, Jose Mourinho at the helm? Yeah, I would just refer to you to our under-23 countdown. We we mentioned him uh, back in the summer of 2019. That was when he was only six months deep into the club because he arrived in January 2019, uh, went straight into Alberto De Rossi's Primavera side. And I was raving about him back then. And, and uh, we just mentioned that you know, people made comparisons between him and Conte, and uh, others took issue with that, uh, including me. I, I didn't say anything at the time, but I just felt like that comparison was very strange to make. Um, I wasn't going at Steve, because Steve didn't make that comparison. I was, I was just saying that on the forum. There was an argument about whether that was done in good faith or not. Um, I I don't see any Conte there. I kept, okay, he, he runs about, and, uh, you know, maybe by by default that gives him license to win balls more often than the average player but 
um, the story of Darboe is that he's just the guy who is great on the ball. He's hard to dispossess. We, we wrote this in the countdown. Um, he's hard to dispossess, and he's just one of those players like, like Villar and like Diwara who um, you send that guy uh, into the area of the pitch where you're planning on, on the opponent pressing you the most. So if you, if you know that your opponent's going to try and high press you, you want Dabawe uh, playing deep line midfield so that he can break you out of that press. Um, if you know that your opponent's going to drop back and they're going to defend the 18-yard line, you want Darboe playing attack midfield so that he can slip the ball past him and, and be that guy to make that final ball through onto goal. Uh, he's done both at Primavera level. He started out as an attacking midfielder and his 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 control on the ball was silky smooth. He, I remember watching a, a playoff game against Kiva Verona at Primavera level where he would just dribble past a guy, um, take a shot on goal. He's good at shooting on goal. Or he would just make the final pass, and he just looked like he looked like he'd just been doing this for years. Um, and then gradually, the Primavera team started to fall apart in midfield, and uh, he started giving up a lot of second second balls uh, just outside their own defence. So you really needed a calm guy to take over that Mediana role in deep line midfield, and that's when Dabo gradually started to drop back at under 19 level for Alberto De Rossi. And we've seen that that's trans that's actually carried over to the senior team, which is that's where he's made the brick group. But he's he's like VR, he's like Diwara in that sense, and that he's he's a baller. And uh, you want him wherever the space is tight, wherever there's there's not much room to move, he's gonna be there because he's gonna he's gonna get you up that pressure. Yeah. And how how significant of a role would you if he sticks around and doesn't go alone, would you say he could play next year? That's, a million, that's, a, tough that's a million dollar question. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's so much information missing about what Mourinho and Roma's plans yeah. are together. Yeah, uh, you know we, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable asking that until we're done with the summer transfer window and we know what the first team's going to look like. Agreed. We don't know who they're going to bring in at that point. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Fonseca. This being his last game and what he said in the pre-match press conference about how it was a, an honor to. Um, to have coached Roma, he showed a very positive mentality, one that, that often runs at odds with the the mindset that Roma drags into games. Where you know this this is a team in a city that shows a great capacity for self destruction. They they dwell on regrets, they dwell on uh, lost results, drop points against small opponents, and then they carry that into the next game throughout the season, where you see them kind of like holding the head and, and wondering, well, what if? And then you know it just it just snowballs from there. Uh, Fonseca's mentality was a, a breath of fresh air in that sense because before this match, knowing that he's the departing coach and some would say even bringing the team set up closer to what you'd expect Jose Mourinho wants for next season, uh, Fonseca in the pre-match conference said, I don't see anything unfair about having to move on as I consider it an honor to have coached a club like Roma. So really just a no, a no regrets type of mentality from Bal Fonseca. And that he's, he's not dwelling on anything. He's just living in the present. Um, and then Gabriele McCarthy's words on Fonseca after the, the game were, he's a class act. And Holden Caulfield might say he's a genuine man in a world full of phonies. He'll be back. So, um, Steve, does this, such a strangely positive mentality have a place at a club at Roma? Or, or was that the, the death knell for Fonseca? I mean, I, I don't think it's the death knell. I think the death knell was the results in, in the end. Yeah. Um, I think results speak speak stronger than anything. Um, I, I, I like the positivity a bit. Um, it's nice to see him go out with some dignity. I think he will land on his feet somewhere. I don't know if it'll be 
at a big club right away. It could be, uh, you know, a team might see the potential in his football from Shakhtar and be like, you know what, this guy has great ideas. It might work better here than Roma for whatever reason. Uh, he might mm-hmm. go to a smaller club and then bounce back in a couple of years. But I, I think like, um, like Marcotti said, he'll be back uh, somewhere. And we, I've, we've seen other managers get drugged through the muck in Rome, uh, Luis Enrique, Rudy Garcia, and they've bounced back strong elsewhere. So I think he, I think he'll be the same case. Yeah. But there's a general feeling around Italy that the guys who are like who stay calm and, and are so level-headed like that, they get taken for a ride. Like they get, uh, you know, very cool as they say in Italian. Yeah. Um, and uh, so like, is Mourinho the answer to that? Is Mourinho going to show some teeth and, and like really put journalists <laughs> on guard beforehand? Uh, yeah, I think the answer to that is clearly yes. We've seen it throughout his career when he was at Inter and, and when he was abroad, and abroad from Italy rather. Um, I, I think, yes, he'll be the opposite. Uh, I think the journalists will have fun with that, but I also think they'll be on guard. Um, I think if the stories come out that are, are BS, he will call it for BS right away uh, and maybe not be so um, nice about it the way Fonseca might have yeah. been as, so nice about it. Yeah. Well, back, back to Fonseca, how, how do you think he'll be remembered? But uh, One listener, Brian, Brian, who I, I think is a first-time questioner, um, he's asking... What is your fondest memory of Fonseca's, Fonseca's tenure? And what would you remember him uh, for as several years from now? I think the fondest memory has to be going to Amsterdam and beating Ajax, um, just because that was the biggest match that they succeeded in under Fonseca. Um, in terms of how I'll remember him several years from now, I think if the trajectory of certain players continues the way it has, Carsdor, Pellegrini, Mancini, some of those names we mentioned earlier, VR, uh, continue to develop for Roma and thrive for Roma. I think the the thing I would remember him for would be uh, getting those careers kickstarted a bit, uh, in a sense. If they don't, um, then maybe you know maybe we just remember him for a nice run in the Europa League. I don't know. It depends on where those careers go. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this uh, Brian, your question actually uh, it came up in uh, we're doing a roundtable between us uh, on Kizzi Dotti. It's coming up. I believe it's coming up this week where we talk about Fonseca and we give him a farewell in writing. So you can read the article when it comes up next week. But um, in you know, the question is very similar to one that came up in that, in that round table. And I said, I'm going to repeat, repeat my answer now, which is I'm actually going to remember him for New Year's Day 2020, where he made sure the team came out to an open training day session at the Stadio Trafontani. Um, and the, you know, it was an open attendance. So public could attend, fans could come up. And uh, he gave a speech and, you know, is, that's typically a time of the year where Roma players start thinking for themselves. They start going to business for themselves because they, they know Roma is a selling club. So, you know, the mercato is open and uh, players are talking to their agents. They're more worried about that than, than the match day results. Um, so I thought that was a very astute move by Fonseca to, to reconnect the players face to face with the fans in that sense and, and try and get their mind you know, on the in the course of a 38 game season in that sense. So I really hope that's a tradition that sticks or becomes a tradition with the club mid-season and sticks around with whatever the coach is. Um, I've never seen that before Paolo Fonseca came to the club. So I felt that was that was a really good move. Um, that's my best memory of him generally. Uh, as as what he, he'll be remembered as several years from now, uh, the guy who brought the simplest football to Rome Okay, it didn't work, but it was still, you know, simple and elegant in, in when it when it did. And uh, the guy who, yeah, was just um, 
never never dwells on things. You know, Rome is a place where people love to feel sorry for themselves. Or, you know, we like to talk about the trauma of being a Roma fan. He never saw that from Fonseca. You know, he never, never felt hard done by it. He was very much like Daniel De Rossi in that sense. He was like, look, uh, you know, people have it worse than me. I'm not going to beat myself up for my bad luck, quote unquote, of being here in Roma. I actually feel very blessed to be here. So I like that leadership after him. I, I remember him as a, as a leader in that sense, mm-hmm. very charismatic. Um, Mohamed Al Jazeera asks, my actual question is, do you think Fonseca would have been a success if he, if he, if say he came instead of EDF? So when the club was, when the team was stronger and the club was more stable back in 2017? It's a good question. Um, different personnel for sure. Definitely some um, more star power in certain positions, midfield especially, I'd say. Um, you know, Jekko two years younger, maybe a little more to give in the attack. Um, you know, Kolarov for Spinazzola, that, that exchange might not be that awful because Kolarov at that point in his career wasn't defending much anyway. He was mostly uh, bombing down the, the left wing uh, as a left back for EDF. Um, you know, Fazio and Manolas were, were pretty good in a back four. It's possible. Um, you know, I don't know if everybody's a like for like change into Fonseca's formation, the way he likes to play. Um, something to think about. I mean, you know, EDF had some pretty good success in the Champions League that first season. So it's, it's, it's certainly possible, I think, with that personnel for that first season, he might have had more success than he had now. What do you think? I think, uh, I mean, I think it, it, they definitely do better than seventh place. That's yeah. true. Because uh, the, the mentality of those players was more mature mm-hmm. and uh, more, combative, more combative, sorry, uh, in midfield. But I really think that you this question is mis- mismatching the nature of the team with the nature of the coach uh, or the nature of the football being asked. Uh, you know, we, we deliberately made the move away from that 2017 team, which was high on physicality, but low on, on ball technique to something that was relatively high on ball technique, but as it turns out, not high enough for physicality. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to say that this team is better than, than the previous one, but just a different nature type of team. Um, I don't know if you could really ask, Nangolang and Strutman and and all them lot to to string two passes together. I don't. I, you definitely couldn't ask Melanas to do that. Um, you know, coaches like EDF and uh, Onseka would beg you to put Gianluca Mancini back in your mm-hmm. back line all day because he comes yeah. up with these vertical passes from defense to the front line that are just beautiful. Um, whereas I just remember that 2017 team for like the build-up play just used to die completely, fall, fall flat dead between. Manolas and Alessandro Florenzi passing it to each other <laughs> at like two miles per hour and not even like balls ahead of each other so that you could run onto the ball, like literally passing it sideways so that Florenzi would have to actually walk backwards, collect the ball and then move forward. And like that, I just invited a ton of pressing onto us. So um, just some personnel there would, would just not fit what Fonseca would ideally would want. Um, but I definitely feel that team would do better than seventh place because they're just a more experienced, more mature side, really. Yeah. Um, what about Steve? Where, where will Fonseca go to next? Tarni asks, based on his latest tenures, how long? Sorry, uh, this is a different different subject. Uh, this is Mourinho. How long can we expect Mourinho to last at Roma? Yeah, I figure we throw this one here because we talked about Fonseca. We actually talked about where he would go next a little bit earlier. I think I think he's coaching. I think he's managing somewhere next season. I, I'm just not sure if it's like a mid-level club, uh, maybe in like the Premier League, or if he's like at a higher level club. Uh, in terms of Mourinho, yeah. um, 
you know, I'm hoping he lasts at least his contract. Cause if he lasts at least his contract, that means there must be some success in there. Um, if it lasts mm-hmm. less than those three years, then I think it, it it's probably because it failed somewhere in, in, in hopefully not in like the 18 months we saw got- Tottenham. Uh, yeah. Going to a fist bite with a journalist. Yeah. So I'm hoping it, it lasts <laughs> the three years and then potentially longer if, if the stars align, because, um, yeah, I think at least three years for it to be a success because this team needs some time to build next year. I think is a building season. Um, and then maybe year two, they can shoot for some kind of, uh, top. I don't want to say top four, cause I'm hoping maybe next year could be a top four if they don't have the European responsibilities of this, uh, this season, but yeah, I, I'm hoping the three years. Yeah, uh, I think uh, Tony, I think Mourinho, uh, probably mispronouncing your name, Tony, because I haven't uh, known Scandinavian names for a long time, so I apologize in advance if I am. But I think uh, Mourinho really has the club uh, by the by the, <laughs> you know, the skin, and, skin and curlies here because he's got €7 million uh, euro a year contract, not including bonuses on top. Yeah. So I think that at least buys him two years of security, if not the whole three. Um, if he didn't last into the third year, it's because either the transfer policy was like sold to him in a way that they re- the club really didn't deliver and he throws a strop, or he just turns out to be a complete nightmare of a coach. But I think he's got he, he'll at least last two years because there's no way that uh, Roma is in a position to, to fire him and pay out seven million compensation a year and then hire another coach on top of that. You know, that's just that's beyond the Roma's means. So, um, you know, Mourinho has been very astute to, to make sure that he's paid at least uh, the same as the highest paid player at the club, Jekko. So he's got complete uh, autonomy of the dressing room right now. And uh, that should buy him probably the length of his contract. Yeah, if he's fired sooner um, than three years, you're probably coaching the team for like 100K, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move away from that horrible thought to um, other media opinions this week, Steve. Uh, what about the uh, there's a lot of talk after the game about the standing ovation for Jericho and, and what it means I know you, you touched upon it briefly earlier but is Jericho now leaving or is he staying I mean it feels in a sense like he could be going because of the ovation was from his teammates who knows what Jericho might be saying in the locker room if Jericho's hinting at that this could be the end for him maybe it was his last derby his last match of the Olympic on top of that uh, it's hard to know for sure until Mourinho arrives and Mourinho really has his vision but it feels like at 34, Jekko has given all he's been able to give, you know, up to this point. I don't think he's going to get have that much more to give. And I don't think he wants to stay around in a secondary role. Um, you know, if he wanted to be second fiddle to like a Belotti or a Vlaovic or somebody, I could see a role for him here. But I, I can't see him wanting that role. Um, and then mm-hmm. if he does stay in that role, do you just let Myral go back to Real Madrid? You cut his loan short um, because you're not going to carry three strikers. And I don't, I don't think Myral's the kind of striker that's going to lead the line for Roma under Mourinho. So it feels like it could be the end, but if something crazy happens where they can't land one of their like top three or four striker targets, maybe he's back. And yeah, who knows? But it, it felt kind of like the end. Yeah. Do, do you see Mourinho potentially going to four four two next season, or or like a, maybe something that some variation of two up front where Meral is a starter, but doesn't have to be leading the line in that sense. Um, based on his past history, I can't recall him doing that anywhere else that, that I know of off the top of my head. He usually sticks to that more lone striker from what I remember. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, a completely different topic, 
but still in the media this week surrounding Roma, was uh, a yet another outburst from ex-Roma director Antonio Tempestili. Uh, if you were an 80s fan of Roma, you would recognize him as a ex-midfielder at the club um, during some very successful years, but he, he actually gave, went on after his playing career to give uh, Roma basically a cumulative uh, 34 years of his, his life to the club until he was fired at the end of 2019 as a as a director and uh tempestili this is not the first time that he's said these particular kind of comments and and not definitely not the first time he said it towards this particular someone in the club but once again this week he came out and he called roma's upper management selfish and selfish people who are mostly looking out for themselves and he called guido fienga the roma ceo squalido which is a very serious term to be throwing out in Italian. He's basically calling someone filth. Um, this is not the first time that we've met, uh, read these kind of insinuations in the press, not just from Tempestili, but around uh, the club surrounding Guido Fianga, Steve. So, you know, like once you kind of dismiss it, secondly, you think, okay, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something. Three times is more than coincidence. Is, it, is there smoke without fire here? And you know, we've, we've, I asked you this, I think, last week or two weeks ago. And now that Mourinho is at the club and recruitment is going to be stepping up again, we hope. Um, what is Fienga's actual like weight at the club right now? Not the Mourinho area is here. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he does now. Mourinho is here. Um, yeah, I mean, and he wasn't hired by the Freakins either. So he survived pretty long, but I don't know. Maybe he doesn't stick around. What do you think? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm confused because he, he seems like a guy who, um, would never offend anyone, but he's like, this is the third time this year that he's attracting his comments of apparently yeah. being a selfish guy who, who undermines people at the club, um, apparently makes the wrong decisions, and and now being called dirty or filth, you know, by someone is just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, is he doesn't seem like a guy who creates harmony at the club, so. I just, I, I, he looks like a guy who's really on borrowed time. Like, if that's a guy, like, if, if he's rattling the chains behind the scenes, that's a guy that Mourinho's going to confront more yeah. you know, sooner rather than later. You know, it'd be, it'd be like hiring Antonio Conte. You know, Antonio Conte went to, to war against uh, interrupt management, he went to war against Auxilio because he said, look, this guy's just letting out statements to the press that, that, you know, that, that doesn't, like, undermines the harmony around the club. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Mourinho is going to, be rattling that saber soon as well. Um, what about elsewhere, away from the men's team? What happened this weekend? Roma Primavera, they finally ended their streak of six games without a win, which was five draws and one loss, so a seemingly never-ending run of draws. Um, but they, they finally beat Torino away 3-2, and it was a Lamin Tall winner coming in stoppage time, deep in stoppage time, after Roma had been pulled back to parity twice in the game. They went ahead twice, and they were pulled back twice, but they finally won at the death 3-2. That puts Roma now one point behind new leaders Inter Primavera in the league, uh, but still firmly in position for that final eight spot in the Primavera playoffs. Roma women, they lost this weekend to Juventus women at home 1-0, and it was a Barbara Balancea winner in the 52nd minute of the game that keeps Juve's 100% league record intact. There's one match day left in the, in the league, and Juve have won all of their games, 21 out of 21. Can they make it a perfect 22 out of 22? Um, the rest of us hope not, because, my God, how boring is that? But um, 
Roma struggled with Sertorini. Uh, their usual star dominated by Juve's right back Lundorf and uh, Angelica Sofia, bright star uh, at right back for Roma this season, struggling against Barbara Bronner herself. Um, but the most damaging uh, part of this loss was that they lost playmaker Manuel Giuliano to injury. Uh, she got stamped on her foot by, it was uh, Cecilia Salvai. Uh, fairly innocuous coming together, but uh, fortunately studs came down right on Giuliano's foot. And uh, this comes two weeks before the Coppa Italia final, where Roma have to play Milan. Uh, they really didn't want to lose Giuliano. So we're, we're, you know, we're waiting on updates as to whether she'll recover in time. Uh, but uh, that's two maker, two playmakers out of the, the, the squad right now because Andressa remains out of the squad. She's recovering from injury. She uh, took up individual training at Trigoria while Mila, uh, sorry, Roma were playing that UV match. And it's really just not, not the best way to approach a cup final that will happen on May 30th, uh, where Roma are already second favourites as it is. Milan are a stronger team. But uh, that Coppa Italia final will be Roma versus AC Milan on May the 30th. And it's at You'll be happy to know, Steve, it's at 8.30 p.m. Uh, Central European time, which is 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon in New York. So if you fancy a game, that's your cup final. May 30th is, is the one to watch. Um, some transfer news on the women's side. Andressa herself, we just mentioned her. She still hasn't signed a new contract extension. And there have been rumors that she may go for, may make a go for stateside football again in a higher league in the U.S., uh, in the MLS. And then Lindsay Thomas. Is uh, actually turns out to be a very sought out after name uh, after her season with Roma. She's sought out uh, according to her agent by three big European clubs, and one of them is none other than AC Milan. So, a lot of question marks for this Roma team on the women's side uh, going into the summer transfer window. But we'll get to the remaining list of questions and uh, another question from Mohamed Al Jazeera, uh, who's at, at Mo Al Jazeera on Twitter, and he asks Steve any info on this. I hope he pulls out and, and full focuses on the team before preseason. I believe Mohamed was referring to Mourinho's commentary commitments to Talk Sport, British TV network, for the upcoming Euro Euro well, Euro 2020s happening in 2021. Um, what do you make of it? Do you think uh, Mourinho's media commitments uh, will interfere with his commitments to the club? Um, being stateside, I didn't even know he was committed to to doing the Talk Sport until I saw the question with the link today from Mohamed. Um, I, I would think maybe there might be a clause in there that if he is hired for a job, he might be able to get out of that obligation. I'm not sure. Um, but you would think Rome would, would like him not to do it and focus more on the, the, the preseason aspects of the team. Well, they can't argue he's on seven million a year. So he yeah. has to do what he wants. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I agree with you. Um, uh, I, mean, I, I don't know what to say. You know, like we're just going to see time will tell. We actually have a feature coming up on uh, Fabio Capello this week, which is really like the last comparable superstar coach that was hired to the Roma bench uh, 20, 22 years ago now. Um, uh, the, the really the only comparable name, modern name, uh, to Jose Mourinho. And uh, actually before uh, Capello was hired as Roma coach, he spent a year out, took a sabbatical, and made a made a for the second time in his career, actually made a name for himself behind the microphone as a color commentator, uh, commentating on the Copa America for, I believe it was Rye um, during that 1999 year. Um, so that didn't necessarily interfere with his commitments because I think the Copa, I think the Copa America happened slightly before the Euros, um, but it's not the first time it's happened. You know, when, when you're a well-respected coach, 
uh, you tend to never gravitate too far away from the game. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Mourinho this summer. Um, another question from Delirio. The, sorry, Delirio at Delirio. I believe this is the first time a questioner, and he asked. Uh, well, he he actually had a series of posts, but we we're going to boil it down to just one simple question for you, Steve. Do you see Roma using Spinazzola as a left winger next year in midfield, backed up by a left back behind him, uh, so that that would allow Rick Karsdorp to be the more offensive right back on the other side? It's an interesting thought. It's not something I thought about. Um, I don't know if it'll happen because I don't think Fonseca is going to going to go to like a f- uh, not Fonseca rather Mourinho would go to like a four four two where he can be more of a left wing. Uh, you know, like a left midfielder, because I can't see him playing so high up as like an El Shirari on like a, in a 4-2-3-1 or like a Mkhitaryan. Um, but it's an interesting thought um, because then it allows Spinazzola to play his offensive game uh, and Karsdorp to play a little more offensively than he would probably be able to play if Spinazzola was playing left back. Um, I don't see it happening though. What about you? Um I think, I think it's doable because uh, Spinozola actually was used like that in his latter days at Juventus under Allegri, mm. um, even though it, the formation was slightly different. Uh, but uh, essentially, it was the same kind of um, idea that he was, he was used as a wide midfielder with no no real defensive responsibilities, um, had a had a fullback behind him. So or he had a third centre-back behind him sometimes. Um, I, I mean, it's doable, but uh, yeah... I I have no objections to it. It's it it works. It's just like who who the question is who's the backup who's the, the defensive left back because if yeah. cars up attacking, then uh, you need your left back to be very defensively minded. And right now we have Ricardo Calafiori who can he's certainly of that mindset, um, but uh, not exactly an accomplished player. And uh, who else do we have? We have Davide Santon who just got basically burned for pace in the intergame mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, after I talked him up as someone who could have a chance from Rio side, uh, just hasn't been looking too sharp lately. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if if, if the club's really going to go out and spend that money on a on the defensively minded left back, or if they're going to put all their hopes on California for a season. It's uh, seems like a personnel shortage there for that that idea. But um, yeah, there are, in in principle, I have no 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 problem with that idea whatsoever it works um okay i think we've wrapped up this episode but we're going to look forward to next week uh, steve you know, as we know the city table is not a done deal the title race is over but there's a relegation battle between torino and benevento who do you think is going to survive that one well f- first of all <laughs> who would have thought that it would come down to torino benevento in the last match day now torino does have the makeup match against lazio uh tomorrow so if they get a point out of that, they will. Um, that that will make it a moot point, I guess. City, I was waiting to reschedule that until they saw if it was necessary, and now it is necessary because uh, I just saw it today that uh, on the calendar I didn't notice it before today. Um, so it'll be a lot will depend on what Torino does tomorrow. If they get nothing out of it, then it comes down to the last match day. I don't know what the tiebreaker would be like between those two teams, but Benevento could pull even on points with Torino. Um, if they head in with the way things currently stand. So that'll be interesting. Uh, the Champions League race, uh, definitely not settled yet because uh, I had a lot to secure their spot this weekend, but Milan is on 76, Napoli on 76, and Juve 75. And yeah. Milan travels who, who, to who, Bergamo. Who do, you want to, who do you want to crash and burn? 
I, I don't really want either Milan or Juve to qualify personally, but uh, <laughs> I, if one team had to crash and burn, I'd probably prefer Juve just because they've been so dominant over the last decade. Um, yeah. But I have a feeling I, I, I that stop. Milan will be the one to crash and burn because they do go to Bergamo. And I think Atalanta is going to be motivated to secure second place because if they were to lose to Milan, they would fall behind Milan uh, and could fall as far okay. as fourth. Um, but keep I, in mind that... Uh... Atlanta before that have a cup final against you. Yes, they do. But I think Gasparini has his team so like zeroed in in some of these big matches that I think they'll just want to, I think they'd like to play spoiler against Milan unless, unless they're really looking to spite Juve, but it's almost a spite in your nose to spite your face because then you might finish fourth level with Juve. You have the tiebreaker, but is that what you want? I don't think so. Um, Yeah. And then Napoli of course has to win, win two to, to secure their spot against Verona. Juve travels to yeah, Bologna, what, so there's, you know, that's that's what I fear is that Napoli throw the whole thing away and then you get Milan and Juve both getting yeah. in the top four. That would be my least ideal I, situation. I off, exactly, me too. I, I start off the beginning of this weekend uh, hoping that Juve will fail and crash and burn because that will just make it more interesting to see how they recover from mm-hmm. losing that income. Um, but I have to be honest, after Milan drew, I thought, you know what? I mean, they've been talking all season long about how they're back and you yeah know, how, like you know that like you know, there's, there's a lot of like voices of recent years about how like milan needs to be back in europe for like Serie A to, to, to thrive and prosper it would be great if they tripped up as well yeah you know, like, i'm uh, in the same mentality where it's kind of like they've been talking so much all year that it would yeah. almost be just to see milan twitter blow up would yeah. kind of be fun yeah so and i'm then, i'm honestly yeah i'm torn between the two but i, I yeah. just don't want napoli to mess it up that's all and then even Roma has a, a meaningful um, match in the race. To Roma. Yeah, I was going to say for Roma, <laughs> <laughs> that's a meaningful yeah. match for Europe. Um, I think in our case, we probably would rather miss out on seventh place because uh, that would put us in that conference league. Roma goes to Spezia uh, and Lazio ho- uh, travels mm-hmm. to Sassuolo. Um, Sassuolo two points behind Roma, so Roma would have to, I think a draw might be enough for Sassuolo if it goes on head-to-head. Um, I'm not sure. But um, if Roma doesn't win, Sassuolo does have a chance to. Yeah, Sassuolo would have a chance to uh, pass them, which I think might be a good thing in the end. But Spezia secured their yeah. their place. I'm, in, I'm not sure what. Yeah. Spezia yeah. might not, I'm not be that sure motivated what the either. Is on that, but yeah, um, I think that's. I only I only see a Roma win in that match. To be honest with you, yeah. so I think we're getting seventh in yeah. conference league. It is next year. Um, also coming out this week, we have a, like I mentioned before, earlier in the episode, we have a farewell Fonseca feature, a roundtable uh, feature coming up on, on the site, kzdtotti.com. And we'll also have, um, sorry, so the farewell Fonseca feature is specifically done by Bren. It's not a roundtable feature. It's, it's a Bren article coming up. And we have also have a, a roundtable about how Fonseca will be remembered. We ask our questions on, on that topic. And we have a Fabio Capello in-depth feature coming up on kzdtotti.com as well. Uh, today we had uh, an article from Jonas stoking up the rivalry, the renewed rivalry between Antonio Conte and, and Jose Mourinho coming up. Um, and uh, is there any any other articles coming up on the site, Steve? Um, not that I know of this week. I know um, Bren put one out, a quick one, just at Roma got five players named to the provisional roster for the Euros. Um, that's just more of a news piece. Um, but I think the big ones are the ones you mentioned, the Farewell Fonseca, uh, the Capella one that you're working on, and then... Um, Next week, we'll start having our post postseason coverage, our Euros coverage. So there'll be a lot of other features coming out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. 
anything else you want to say before we sign off no just happy that roma won the derby if jerry mancini tuned into this episode which i know he does tune into our <laughs> podcast sometimes he was very gracious in defeat uh you know he was flipping roma the bird before the uh before the match on twitter uh <laughs> and he uh got a taste of his own medicine after the match i think it was scott monroe uh, tweeted back at him he's a roma fan uh with a similar picture yeah flipping the bird back to jerry yeah. uh so you I, know, jerry did congratulate myself and a couple of the roma people he's had on his podcast so i'll, I'll give it to him he was gracious in defeat but it, it did feel good I, to see him silenced a little bit he was no, spewing a lot of roma hate lately i i loved your tweet to him before the game where he said it's time for for roma to send off senate lunet with a, with a loss jerry yeah <laughs> <laughs> which we did as lunet's yeah. his last game last derby and he lost 2-0 so yeah. that's that's happy um, that's being well fed for the season um yeah that's us done for number 45 number 45 is in the can uh, across the riververse and you can catch us on uh, any network you're listening to us right now and you can always catch us on kzhotty.com you're fully welcome to join up to the forum and uh, have your two cents on the, on the site but until then it's bye for now <laughs>